Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that really throughout all time as we know it, you have pursued us. You have wanted to know us. You have wanted to be one with us. You have, you have run after us, God, in striving to make us a part of your family so that we could enjoy your presence and the abundance of life that you provide in your presence. And so, God, we, we acknowledge that your spirit is at work constantly to add people to your family and to unite those who have believed in the gospel to the family, that we could be increasingly one-minded and increasingly uh, fulfill the calling of what it means to be a child of God and a part of your family. And so, God, uh, as we learn more about what it means to commit to a local church, to commit to your family, we pray that you would give us understanding and insight into uh, your word and, and into the language of family and unity and spirit and being children of you, and being heirs with Christ. We pray, God, that you would draw our hearts to comprehend, and to draw near to you, and to love you, and to love one another, that we could experience all of the fullness that you have. For we know your word teaches that while we do indeed possess your Holy Spirit as individuals, we know that the fullness of life is not found as an individual, but as a member of the family, and as you fill us with love, strengthened with faith, we experience something that is beyond our individual walks in Christ. And so, God, that is what we want to experience. We want to experience the fullness of your presence in us, every dimension the height, the length, the width, the breadth of your love and of your power. And we're thankful, God, that you have called us together as a church to give us a place and a context and a people and a family in order to enjoy this. So, God, that is our goal. It is your goal for us. We pray that you would fulfill this desire that we have and that you have always had. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, the text for this morning is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Luke. So as George said, you know, he's, we've been going through Titus all fall, and we've been talking a lot about what it looks like to live as part of the household of God, the family of God, the church, and, and what that order looks like, what it leads us to, what it means to be part of the family. And, and as George ended Titus, right, and like he just shared during Serving the Movement, you know, membership comes up when, it, when you get out of all of that. When you talk about the church, you start talking about commitment, you start talking about submission, you start talking about elders and authorities, and, and you read passages like Titus, but also like First Peter, we read today about submitting yourselves to the elders, to the leadership, to the church, committing yourself. And I don't know if, you, if you're, I don't know how many of you are like me, but when people start talking about levels of commitment and submission to authorities and to structures and to the church, it starts to rankle a little bit or it provides some reason to, to doubt. I mean, I, I mean, if you just look at the time that we are in our culture, the place where we are, I mean, do we really want to commit to these types of things? Do we want to use language like submission? Do we want to use languages like covenants and membership, when you look at the history of the church, not that long ago, but even current, <laughs> if you pay attention to the church today, it seems that churches more and more and more hurt people under their care. The ones who are supposed to be taking care of people are the ones who are inflicting damage upon people. It doesn't seem like the right time to talk about these types of things or even to push for these types of things. For many of us, our experience of the church, or when you start talking about church, right, it just brings up feelings and fears of power and corruption. You know, you don't have to think very far or look for examples of this, of churches hurting people, protecting those in authority who shouldn't be protected not protecting victims of crimes or abuse, and all under this guise of submission or you just have to trust your church, you just have to trust yourself to the leaders in the church, you just have to sign the line and, and, and go along with what your church tells you. And for many of us, I mean, many of us have left a church at some point in our lives. You know, that Twin Cities Church is maybe not the first church you have walked into in your life. Some of you, that may be the case. Others of us have gone to different churches, been part of different churches, have been hurt, really actually hurt by churches, by, have been let down by the leaders of churches, been let down in various communities, either churches that have leadership or just been hurt and let down by churches that have no leadership, but still hurt by the church. And so when we start to talk about structures and order and commitment, I think it's legitimate to wonder 
and to be a little skeptical of those types of things. You know, if we genuinely are going to love each other, shouldn't we just be free to love one another, right? Do we need to have these formal covenants? Do we need to have membership? Do we really need to commit in such a way? Can't we just be the church? Can't we just be free to be the church? Wouldn't that be more loving, a greater experience of the Spirit, if we were just free to be with each other and to love each other? Why commit to structures? Right? Why commit to institutions that we know lead to flawed and hurt and pain and all of these types of things? So those, are the, those are the objections that go through my mind. I don't know if it goes through yours. <laughs> so you're thinking, this guy, this hippie pastor. But I, I, I think... I mean, I think it's a legitimate question. For some of us, we too quickly rush into signing the dotted line if someone asks us to do something, and others of us react against those types of things, the kind of don't tread on me kind of attitude of, well, I'm fine being part of this church, but I'm not going to sign away any of my rights to this group. You know, why should I commit? And so we want to spend a couple of weeks, because I think this membership covenant is a serious document. Yeah, as George has presented, the church is a serious institution. You know, to be the church is a significant thing, and it's a significant idea and moment in our culture, too, to start to be talking about church. So what is it? What does it look like to commit to the church? And we want to take a few weeks to really wrestle with this. Why would we commit to the church? Why would we not commit to the church? What are the objections that we have? And how does Christ and the gospel help us in these decisions? Well, as George presented all fall, as we are going through the book of Titus. I mean, all believers have been called into the family. You can't escape that. We've all been called into the family of God. We've all been called into the church, into a very local and physical reality. The church, it is an actual place. It is an actual people. It's nice sometimes to sit and think of Big C Church or Universal Church But that's not the context of Scripture. It's not what we've been called into. It it is, but we only are called into that as we experience a real physical body with real physical people, an incarnational presence with one another, actually being with people. We're called to this. We know that. And we also saw from Titus, and we've seen throughout all of Scripture, right, that within the family, there is to be an order. That the family is to be ordered. We're in the family of God. The family is supposed to be ordered in a particular way. We've seen that. I mean, Genesis to Revelation, it's not just Titus, but this ordering of the family, the family order, that in order to do good works, which we have been called to do, right, in order to bear good fruit, in order to be fruitful, in order to do the things that God has called us to, equipped us to, to make his name, we have to have an order. We have to have older teaching younger We have to have elders shepherding and protecting. We have to have everybody in the church using their gifts, doing their part, growing in maturity. There has to be an order. We saw that in Titus. We see that throughout Scripture, that the people of God are called to reflect God in every aspect. And we're, we're called to reflect Him in how we interact with each other. We as a church reflect God. We're this city of God in a city on earth. The way that we interact is to reflect the heavenly realms. Like George said, our primary witness is to the heavenly places. We reflect God's wisdom in how we live our lives, in how we interact with one another. We reflect God in how we use our gifts, in how we show love, but also in how we submit, 
how we submit to one another, how we submit to the leaders that God has given us, it's an inescapable teaching of Scripture that we reflect God in how we submit to one another and to our leaders, to the government, in how we show love and how we live our lives. That this commitment and submission make love genuine, make it possible to be the people of God, that without this, we don't reflect him, or we don't reflect him fully. But when the word submission comes up, <laughs> it gets a little, things get, I mean, we're fine talking church, but it, it's not as fun when we start talking about ideas of commitment, ideas of submission, ideas of order, it, it's not that appealing. <laughs> Even, you know, seeing a word on a screen like submission and sandwich between commitment and family, it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. And, and in a lot of ways, it rankles us, the thought of submitting to anyone or anything. But at the same time, when we're honest with ourselves, and when we look at our culture, when we look at ourselves, we can see clearly we need it. And even though we don't like the idea of submission at times, we clearly see the need for it today in the church and in our lives. And in fact, we, we deeply desire it because when you look at ideas like this, when you read Titus, you read Scripture, you read First Peter, right? shepherding and protection. What beautiful things. Who doesn't want shepherding and protection? I mean, Jesus says, right, like the, the workers are few. Who is there to shepherd the flock who is taking care of the sheep, his greatest objection is, is anger at the Pharisees, right? They didn't shepherd the people. They weren't taking care of the poor, the weak, the vulnerable. Who is taking care of people? These, these ideas of shepherding and protection, the world desperately wants these things and loves these ideas, right? I mean, what does a shepherd actually do, right? We see it in Titus. We've seen it in Peter. We've seen it throughout Scripture, a shepherd is someone who prays for others, who thinks of others before themselves. A shepherd is one who ensures the teaching and the word of God is held in high order, that's protected, that Christ is protected. A shepherd right, lovingly walks alongside of people, taking them by the hand, walking through struggles and joys with them. A shepherd protects members of the church from wolves. It protects people. It protects the vulnerable and the weak and the innocent from those who would devour them, those who would prey upon them, or those who for selfish reasons right, will take advantage of people. A shepherd stops that. A shepherd disciplines the unruly. It speaks the truth in love calls out sin and speaks truth. Ultimately, like we saw here in 1 Peter, a shepherd is an example of humility, right? an example of Christ in this world. I mean, who does not want that? As we look at the church today, as we look at the culture today, it's certainly, the, the problem is not that we have not had authority figures, <laughs> or that there hasn't been structures in place, but there haven't been shepherds in those positions. 
The church, the defining experience of church, should be one of protection and care, of love and humility. That's what Peter is calling the elders to remember. It's what, why Paul left Titus behind in Crete. Put these things in order. Find men, find leaders. Let the church be known for its love and its humility. Let the leaders in the church take care of the people. Let them lay down their life for others, demonstrating protection and humility. I think when we see these pictures of what a shepherd is called to do, of what the church is called to do, I think we desire this. I don't think anybody doesn't desire this. As we look at the hurt and the pain and the church scandals within all denominations seem to struggle with this. You know, you can just look it up on Google and find various scandals after scandals within churches and elders mishandling people under their care. You just, you're going to find it again and again. The problem doesn't seem to be the structure or that there are elders. Everybody desires shepherds. But at the same time, right, we stand at a moment in which many have lost any hope or faith that the church can actually fulfill this calling. I mean, can the church actually be a place that could do this? Can leaders in the church actually take care of the flock? Is the church a place of humility and love and sacrifice and gentleness? Or is the church a place of domineering, selfish ambition and control? Can the church do this? And there's good reason to worry about this. I mean, because there's just as many passages as there are about elders and the leaders and needing to submit to your elders. There's also, (laughs) everything's falling down on me. But there's just as many passages that are warning about bad leaders and elders in the church too and have nothing to do with these people and to watch out for wolves, watch out for false teachers, watch out for those who will take advantage of the church. We have good reason to be skeptical. We have good reason to be cautious. We need to be wise and discerning. Jesus tells his disciples, right, to be gentle as doves, but wise as serpents as they walk through the world. And we should have our eyes open as we enter into church, as we talk about these things. If we don't take those warnings seriously, if we don't take church seriously, if we don't take leadership in the church seriously, right, what what good are we doing? We need to be wise. We need to look at who these people are that we've been called to submit ourselves to. Who are these elders? Who are these leaders? What is this church that Christ is calling us into. So, I mean, if you have been part of Twin Cities Church for a while, right, you should look at us. You shouldn't just sign a contract blindly or a covenant or or those types of things. You should think and you should pray and look at what are the fruit. If you're recent to Twin Cities Church, it's one thing to, right, judge us by what we say, by what's written on a website, the statements of faith, but you should also examine us. You should be looking What is the fruit that you see in Twin Cities Church? What do you see being produced? I was meeting with a couple not too long ago who has really struggled historically with, with our church, but with all churches, and particularly anything connected to denominations, and and really anti church in so many ways. But has experienced Twin Cities Church and experienced the house church. And what the husband had said was, you know, I, I don't know, I don't like 
your doctrine. I don't like your statements. I don't like your affiliations. But I can't deny that I see Jesus and I've seen good fruit in my marriage and in my life since I've been here. That's what you should judge us by. What fruit do you see? What fruit do you see in your leaders? What fruit do you see in the family of your leaders? What fruit do you see bearing in the church as a whole? What, what fruit do you see in us? Is there a signs, are there signs of a domineering spirit? Is it control? Or are there, is the gospel being held? Is there a humility and a gentleness? Is the gospel taking root in people's lives? And to be able to do that, you've got to get to know the church. You've got to get to know us. Well, I, that wasn't any better. I thought I would try it. I might have to. Pardon the interruption. <laughs> Just can't look down that far. So you've got to have a context in which to know people, though. If you're going to be able to look at this fruit, if you're going to be able to see people, you're going to need to be able to have a context in which you get to know those people and take time. Peter gives us two things to look for, selflessness and humility. Right? Selflessness and humility. But to, to do that, there has to be a level of commitment. There has to be a level of commitment to get to know people. There has to be a level of commitment to walk with people, to be able to see if good fruit is bearing. So what do, why is this so hard, though? I mean, we understand what we're called to. We can understand even what the gospel has called us to. We can understand, yes, I want to get to know <laughs> this church. You know, I want to see if it bears good fruit. I want to see, right? I want to be part of this house church. I want to be part of this church. I want to see this. I want to get to know these leaders. I want to get to know this church family. I want to be a part of this church family. But it's still hard. It's still hard. You can, you can even agree that there should be elders, there should be shepherding, there should be submission, but it's still hard. It still doesn't come naturally or easily. It can... It can raise all kinds of anxieties and fear when we start talking about commitment. And I think a lot of it comes from our desire to be loved, for our desire for genuine community. Carl Jung, psychologist, you know, wrote long but I think all psychologists would argue this, that one of humanity's great needs is to be deeply loved. I mean, everybody wants to be loved, to have people who love them, truly love them. Not superficially, but to genuinely be loved. It's one of the great desires of humanity. We are created in this way. We're always looking for someone to love us. We want to be loved and accepted for who we are. And so we pursue those things. It's what draws us into community life, to be loved, to find people who will love us, who we can love. It's what drives us into relationships with others. If you think about your marriage, if you think about any of these types of things, we want someone who will love us. It's what draws us and makes us make commitments to others because it creates an environment to be loved. But while we have this great desire to be loved, it also, and this is what Carl Jung argues, becomes a crippling fear in us as well. Because of my desire to be loved, I know that to be loved, I also must be truly and fully known. 
that the degree in which I'm going to find love is going to come with the degree in which I let someone know me. Because to be loved without being known is just superficial and not satisfying. And everybody knows that. To just be told you're loved all the time, <laughs> just to have people hug you and just say they love you, it, it doesn't satisfy that deep longing. It doesn't satisfy that you don't really know me, though. We want that love. We want that acceptance. We want people to hug us and commit to us and love us. But we also know that that will never really happen until that person knows me. And then there's the crippling fear of if they know me, what if they don't love me? What if they truly get to know me and they find out that there is something in me that's not worth loving? What will happen to me? What will happen to these relationships? What will happen to this community if they really find out, if I'm really exposed and then I'm rejected? It'd be better to just not be known at all. It would be better to stay very superficial. And so we create just whole levels of sophisticated, superficial relationships around us. Communities that stay incredibly superficial. Churches, right, that stay incredibly superficial. Where, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Well, it's good. I'm glad you're doing great. But even everywhere, not just in the church, our whole society has become more and more and more superficial. You know, Instagram and social media have just created more and more ways to maintain a superficial knowledge of people without truly knowing anyone and loving people and ways to love but without truly ever knowing. A way to express yourself, talk about yourself in a very guarded way and let people know things about you that you've chosen to let them know about you but staying distant and keeping and guarding the very things that you're most worried about. And so what this creates then, it creates, on the one hand, communities that can be incredibly superficial, quick to sign these letters of commitment, quick to sign covenant things, because, oh, of course, I love you, you love me, let's, let's do this, let's be a church together, let's be a family. But without taking the time or the intention to get to know anybody, because of trying to maintain a superficial level of love, or it creates a level of distance and disconnect, keeping people at arm's length, a cold judgment, right? A testing and prodding of people. You know, I'll give them a little bit of me and we'll see how they handle it. And if they pass the test, I'll give them a little bit more and a little bit more, but we'll see. And then if they burn me, if they let me down, it gives me a good reason to start to back off. Our fears and our anxieties can just overwhelm us when it comes to being part of community. I think anybody who's been in Twin Cities Church for a while has experienced this in the house church. House church is such a microscope that directs itself on our fear and our anxiety of dealing with people, living in community with one another. Those of you who are not in a house church or are part of Twin Cities Church, you know this. You've experienced this in your family in your social spheres, at work, in your neighborhood. I mean, community is hard. 
Being committed to people, loving people is very difficult work. And there's all these fears and anxieties. Right? Do these people even know me? Do these people even care about me? Right? Do they care more about themselves than they do about me? Will they really love me if push comes to shove? What would happen to me if I lost my job? What would happen to me if I have a debilitating injury? Will these, are these people really, do they really love me? What will they do when they really get to know me? What about the times that I've been let down? Will they always just let me down? Why commit to, get letting da- to be let down over and over and over? Why commit to just being hurt? So we go out of our ways to create communities that stay superficial and avoid structure, avoid order, avoid anything that would require a, per- a person to be honest, to be vulnerable, to have to submit, to being known, to being shepherded. Now we can also go in the opposite extreme. Right? So on one level, church has done, a, has done this in culture where you move to a point where you avoid structures, you avoid order, you avoid authority figures, you avoid those things. So you try to keep it very loving, open. But it's not genuine. It doesn't have the depth. You don't find yourself being known and certainly not known by an authority to the point where they could call you out in your sin and hold you accountable and discipline or anything like that. Or you go to the other extreme, which the church has always historically done and continues to do, where you can become authoritarian and you can develop structures where it's impossible to actually be known, (laughs) where it's actually impossible for love to flourish because it's all about the structure. It's all about submission. There's a serious lack of love. And in both ways, we can run away from conflict. We can run away from anything in any structure, in any commitment that would make us, it would force us to be in a position where we have the potential to be truly known and loved because we're afraid of what would happen if that happens to us. We run from community. We run from places where people will be committed to us where people will walk alongside of us, where people will hold us accountable. I mean, ultimately, what prevents us from entering into community life, what prevents us from entering into this experience of the gospel that Christ has called us to, that George preached out of out of Titus, what prevents us from this is our misplaced hopes. Because the reality is, no matter how long you test us, you see us, you've been with us, and many of you have been with us for years and years from the beginning of the church, you know our failings. The longer you're going to be with us, you're going to see good fruit, we hope, you're going to see the fruit of the gospel, but you're also going to see the failings of your leaders. You're going to see the sins of your elders. You're going to see, ooh, I don't know if I really... I mean, what, what, what am I really, I'm just going to be let down. We're going to let you down. So the bigger issue is not that you should continue to wait and look for that perfect church or those perfect leaders who will never hurt you, who will never let you down, who are the perfect epitome of Christ on earth. But rather, we really have to evaluate where our hope is and evaluate where we're looking for our sustenance and our needs. Because what we find 
Because right, really, we all need to see, and Peter does a great job, I think, of reminding us of this, of when it comes to submission, when it comes to the church family, what's really going on here. We need to understand who we're really submitting ourselves to. <laughs> we're committing ourselves to the church when we're submitting to leadership, when we're submitting to someone. Who are we submitting ourselves to? Who are we committing to be known by and loved by? It's not the elders. It's not us. It's not a community. It's Christ is what Peter reminds us of. That Christ is our chief shepherd. Christ is the one who walks along with us. Christ is the one who protects us. Christ is the one who knows us, who loves us, who cares for us. We are all being shepherded already. We are all being cared for. We are all being loved. Our greatest need has already been met. This is the great news of the gospel. We all have these desires and we, we, we want to be known and we want to be loved. And then here you have Jesus. You have Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. You have God the Father speaking to Jesus, speaking to us. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. I find no fault in him. I mean, the gospel tells me, right? It tells us all that we are fully known by God. Like we have that, that need for love. Well, the maker of heaven and earth knows me, knows you, knows our intimate details of our life, has known us since before the world began. He knows me and he completely and fully loves me. I'm more known than anyone could possibly know me, than I could even know myself. And I'm more loved than I ever dared dream was even a possibility. And do you see what that does then for us? <laughs> what that does, it, it creates this freedom in us now as we live in community. We no longer have to live in fear of others and their opinions of us. I'm already fully known. I'm already fully loved. I don't have to hide myself. I don't have to hide parts of myself. I no longer need others to meet my needs. I don't have to look at the leadership of the church and say, well, let's see, I, I hope they better take care of me. I'm, I'm taken care of. My needs have been met. I no longer need to be in control of my life. I no longer have to be in control of the lives of others because Jesus is in control of their lives and cares for them. So how, are we, how do we experience this more and more, right? We want to experience this community. We want to experience the family of God. We want to live out and reflect the gospel like George has been preaching through Titus. We want to be ready for good works. So we do it through Christ who overcomes our anxieties and our fears. Peter's instruction, right? Cast all of your anxiety and cares onto Christ because he cares for you. What a beautiful instruction, in the context of submission in the church, right? That's a great popular verse that gets pulled out a lot of casting your cares and your anxiety, but it's in the context of submitting to one another. Submission to your, to your church, to your leaders. It makes it possible to trust. It makes it possible to commit to people because I'm taken care of. I'm shepherded. I have everything that I'll ever need 
Nothing can happen to me. Now, we should still be discerning, right? We still need to be wise and to avoid false teaching, avoid domineering churches and leaders that are in selfish gain and looking to abuse and for their own um, namesakes and all those things. We're supposed to avoid those things, absolutely. But we, even when we see that that's not present, we see good fruit, we have to see Jesus, right, and trust him and cast our fears and our anxieties on him. And what that produces in us and what it produces in the church is humility, right? What is the sign of a church that has the gospel? Peter shows it. He says it's humility. Humility versus arrogance at all levels. Leadership down. Right, when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand this message that Jesus gives us, that the scripture shows, right, because the reality of the gospel is I am far worse off than I could have thought. Right? Sin becomes so pernicious that it's, I, can't even, I can't even identify it because it's so part of who I am. I, I am there's nothing in me that's worth loving. It becomes very true when you start to try to follow the law and follow God. But then you find Christ lovingly dying for me. This, that dual nature of I'm, I'm far worse off than I thought. And living in community shows you this pretty quickly. Right? All relationships do this for us. For those of you who are married, you understand this. Those having kids, these are tools of sanctification. I didn't realize I was such a sinner right? until I got married. And then until I had children, whoa, where is this coming from? It, it was always present. Community and relationships just flesh out our sin. I, there is nothing within me that is very lovable or worth someone committing to love. But then I find Christ offering his life for me. The reality of the gospel humbles me. It makes me, I can't be arrogant in the face of the sacrifice and the cost of my salvation. I can't be confident in myself in the light of my sin. I, 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 Paul will say these things, right? Like, how can Paul say at the same time, I am the chief sinner, not I was the chief sinner? Right? A lot of Christians do this. A lot of leaders talk this way, right? Of like, I used, I had this past, but Jesus saved me from it. Praise God. Now I'm on the straight and narrow. But Paul says, no, I am the chief sinner, present tense. Like, I am. I, I, I full of sin. I continue to sin. If you don't say you don't sin, you lie, right? An elder is not somebody who doesn't sin, right? Somebody who has humbled themselves before God and is living a life that is upright in terms of their humility and trusting of God. He can say on the one hand, I am the chief sinner. The gospel humbles us. There's no arrogance or pride in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then it gives us such confidence and hope, because Christ fully loves me and empowered me and chose me for the place that I am and called me to do what I've been doing. I, I can't help but do what he's called me to do. How can Paul be so confident of his mission, of his purpose in life, of what he's doing when everywhere he goes he's, he's being run out of town, stoned and beaten and killed because his confidence comes from Jesus Christ and his calling so as a church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to reorder our hearts and our lives and our community life in such a way that it changes us. We don't think of ourselves and our own needs above others, but that we recognize that Jesus Christ is our shepherd, 
that Jesus Christ has called us into the church, that Jesus Christ is empowering us for this day, for this moment, for this community. So where does this leave us with? <laughs> so I'd encourage us all, and myself included, as we, as we approach community life together, as we approach the church, as we think about what it is to be part of a family, what is it that you struggle with? Do you keep people at arm's length? Right, when you look at your community life, what it looks like for you to be in community with others. Are you guarded and distant? Are you testing people constantly? Do you feel like it's not safe to share something? Do you feel like you can't trust your house church leaders, your friends, the elders, the church? Or do you get your sense of worth and value from the approval of others? Are you quick to entrust yourself to people in the church looking for that love but without letting yourself be known? Are you crippled, crippled by criticism and you run from conflict? For many of us right, who struggle with that need of approval to get criticized, to be to those within the church who don't like you or who feel let down, but it, it, it cripples you. Do you lack that strength to speak the truth? Are you exhausted? Many of us get to that point of just feeling exhausted. I give and I give and I love and I love and I'm not getting anything in return. Who are you looking to to provide for you? Where are you looking to get your strength from? Where are you looking to get your shepherding from? Do you expect it to come from us from others, from the people under your care, your sense of love and well-being, where does it come from? Peter calls us to cast our cares on Jesus, to come to Christ and to seek him, to take his yoke upon us because it's light. There's life that is found in Jesus. We put our hope and our trust in Jesus, not in the church. We don't put our hope and trust in the leaders in the church. We put our hope and our trust in Christ because he cares for us more than our leaders will ever care for, our, for us. Right? Christ loves us more than anybody in this world will ever be able to love us. Do you believe that? Have you let the love of Christ settle into your heart, that you find it, that you delight in it, that you find it satisfying, that you find the love of Christ more satisfying than any other love in this world? That's what we've been called to do. When you find the love of Christ satisfying, like water in the desert, <laughs> you experience joy and peace, freedom and hope, the ability to love, to be in community with others, to speak the truth in love, to commit not to people but to Christ and to trust Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love and for your care. If you would have left us on our own, I don't know what hope we would have. Lord, we thank you that you are the great shepherd of your church, that you are the one who is holding all things together, that holds this church together, 
that is building the church, our church and other churches. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that's at work. We thank you for the people that you have called us to be in community with. Lord, we acknowledge our sinfulness, our selfishness, our disappointment with one another, the feelings of entitlement, of judgment towards each other. Lord, help us to love. Lord, help us to love one another, to be in community with one another, to commit to one another and to loving each other. Lord, strengthen us with your great love so that it empowers us to commit to and to love others. Lord, we trust you. We know that there is going to be hurt and there's going to be pain in this life. Lord, we know that sin is always going to be present in your church. But Lord, we also know that you are present in the church. That there is no other place to find you. So Lord, we want more and more of you. So Lord, strengthen us as a church to find you, to know you, to come to you, and to put our hope in you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.